Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Front Run, where we predict the future of money and technology. I'm John Cook, super excited to be here. I'm trying something new, curious to get everyone's feedback in the spirit of Jess, pushing the needle every day. I'm gonna do something called Crypto Before Bed. So for those who follow uh, frontruncrypto.com, we write like long form analysis. I'm talking like two, three, four, five thousand word essays that outline the state of the crypto market, what's happening with FTX, what we think is going to be the future of Ethereum yield. It goes on and on and on, but it's very in depth, long form writing. And what I found is that there's there's a lot of news that happens throughout the day within like the crypto and DeFi ecosystem. And I follow most of it. Like I wake up every morning and I literally spend like an hour, hour and a half just reviewing crypto news. What's happening on Twitter? Great source for information if you can parse the noise. And what I found like through that journey is there's just so much stuff going on every day. If you wait till the end of the week to like give a point of view or perspective on everything, uh, there's going to be like a thousand things to walk through. It's too much time, too much effort. So what I've decided to do is every day before I go to bed, I have my cup of tea right here. We're going to spend maybe 20, 25, 30 minutes just highlighting some of the key activities that we saw across the ecosystem, across the crypto ecosystem. And like for those who are following along, I basically go on Reddit, go on Twitter, look at what's happening on maybe CoinDesk, it's hit or miss, Bloomberg's okay sometimes. But throughout the day, I bookmark things, come back and read it later. And the come back and read it later, I usually do by myself before I go to bed. But now we're going to do it together on YouTube. So let's dive into it. For those following along, the secret to how I organize everything is Notion. It is an amazing tool. So some of the key things that I saw today, we're going to just cover them in no particular order, but they all piqued my interest. Number one, let's look at Stablecoin Issuer Circle said its $9 billion SPAC deal with Concord has been terminated, ending the firm's plan to go public. Okay, so SPACs, for those who don't know, I've spent over, I don't know, 13 years in technology finance. I live in San Francisco. I'm, I'm, I'm deep in this, and it's part of what piqued my interest in crypto many years ago. But a SPAC is a mechanism for a privately held company to go public without having to go through all of the required paperwork with the traditional IPO. Uh, the opportunity for investors is they have the mechanism to participate in a private investment via the SPAC. So this, this guy, Bob, Bob Diamond Concord, had a SPAC listed. And in the SPAC, they raised $9 billion. So now this guy has to go out and find a find where he can deploy $9 billion of capital, right? And apparently, he's going to use Circle, which is one of the largest US stable coins in the world. Not surprising, though, given the economic uncertainty that we're seeing. So Stablecoin issuer Circle said its $9 billion SPAC deal with Bob Diamond's Concord has been terminated i wonder if i wonder if he has if 
this back has to give back the funds now or if they're just terminating the specific investment. So Circle Internet Financial, the world's second largest crypto stablecoin via SPAC, Concord Acquisition Corp. Okay, Concord Acquisition Corp is the entity that he raised the $9 billion in. Okay. So if you want to invest in a SPAC, you go buy CND, you put in money, he goes out and tries to find an investment. The pair tried to take Circle Public last year, June, uh, an amendment to the deal, valuation, $9 billion, when Circle's USD stablecoin had a market cap of $52 billion, figure dropped to $43 billion. The reason it dropped to $43 billion is, I think on the Binance exchange, they mandated that all, all stable coins will automatically be converted to BNB, like BNB stablecoin conversion USDC automatic. I remember seeing this a couple of weeks ago. Binance, the third issue of the third biggest issuer of stablecoin to stop supporting USDC. Yeah. So when you put US dollars into Binance, it automatically gets converted into, I bet it's the Binance stablecoin, BNB coin. It is the BNB coin, BUSD. Of course it is. So Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange, says, all right, we're going to stop supporting USDC. All the dollars that get put into the exchange are going to be put into Binance, US dollars. And then boom, what happens? The SPAC that was leading Circle, the institution which holds, which owns stablecoin, lost, what, $13 billion? $13 billion in... In how long? February. So that's what, five months. Circle CEO Jeremy says, becoming a public company remains part of Circle's core strategy. The firm became profitable, $274 million in revenue, $43 million in net income. I wonder what the multiple was at $9 billion. So if they're trading at $9 billion. If the market cap is $9 billion, that's $250 million times 4 is $1 billion times 9. 36 times revenue. It's kind of expensive in today's like economic backdrops, but we shall see. Yeah, so it happened. Well, the deal fell apart. It's the timeline for which the deal has been qualified upon. The deal fell apart because BNB, Binance, which is the largest crypto exchange in the world, stopped supporting. USDC. Like it's that simple. Stable coin exchange holdings. Stable coin exchange Dune Analytics. Let's see what comes up here. If you guys don't know, Dune Analytics is a great tool to actually see the total stable coin supply and really what everything you want to know about about crypto in general. What so where is Binance? Stable coin supply per day. Binance. BUSD, $22 billion, see? It's the largest. How unfortunate. Best of luck to uh, Circle. Candidly, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a good idea to have US dollar denominated stable coins in control of a foreign entity outside of uh, uh, outside of America. But um, I, I'm, ask, I'm actually not a fan of centralized exchanges at all, so... Perhaps this is a path towards DeFi that we've all been aspiring towards. All right, next. What else do we got in the Notion book? Okay, FTX Ventures. I've been waiting to read this one. Oh, this is so spicy. FTX Ventures. 
Matt Walsh. He's a, I think he's a, he's an investor from TradFi. What he used to work at Fidelity. General Park. Oh, Castle VC. This guy used to work at Fidelity. Let's look at his team really quick. Yeah, that's where I'm from. Matt was VP at Fidelity, Blockchain Crypto Assets Initiatives. Okay, cool. So it was leaked. Well, FT.com published an analysis that revealed Anna Alameda's venture capital portfolio. All right, let's see if we can read this or if this is going to be blocked. Oh, cool, we can. FT.com revealed the Alameda venture capital portfolio okay venture capital venture capital okay so alameda research is a crypto exchange is a crypto hedge fund uh as we all know now uh ftx gave alameda depositor funds alameda used that to make risky crypto investments that went to zero but as part of that they had a venture capital division all right as well as running its own crypto chains that didn't have an exchange and owning its own hedge funds that didn't hedge. Haha. <laughs> Sam Beckman Fried had a venture capital fund that didn't venture its own capital. How funny. It ventured depositors' capital. The VC division, in contrast to the rest of the FTX group, can now provide some insight into where some of the money went. And here's where it went. All right, let's see if we can zoom in here. Genesis Digital Assets. Oh, unbelievable! Oh, Genesis Digital Assets. That's the that's the Bitcoin. Genesis Digital Assets. Yeah, that's the industrial um, Bitcoin mining farm. They invested what five point five oh five point five post post money valuation. Okay. So they invested $550 million at a $5.5 billion post-money valuation. I wonder what the pre-money was. Let's see. Genesis Digital Assets. Digital Assets, DA, AG, Anthro, Poke, any of these. Sequoia Capital Fund. Sequoia Capital Fund. So, okay, I bet Sequoia Capital had uh, a vent... They probably they did have a fund, a crypto fund that I think raised what three billion dollars and wow, F oh Alameda Ventures only deployed one hundred thousand dollars in each fund. I bet it was like a round robin. So remember that Sequoia Capital invested in FTX. Uh their three billion dollar investment actually went to zero. Sequoia Capital. Sequoia Capital FTX. I wrote an article about this on on Front Run if you guys want to check it out. Oh, Sequoia Capital apologizes to its funds investors for FTX law. Sequoia Capital did not do their due diligence. They did not have a seat on the board. There was no like mechanism to analyze, hey, what is the value of these FTT tokens? Is there any revenue that actually accrues to these tokens, or is it really just like a shitcoin Ponzi scheme? My personal point of view is that Sequoia Capital should be held accountable for their investor funds. Yeah, they lost $150 million in this exchange, and it looks like it looks like 
FTX Capital, FTX, no, Elevated Ventures was uh, at least a limited partner in Sequoia Capital Fund and Sequoia Capital Heritage, Heritage Fund. Oh, for $100 million. That's $200 million. Wow. Yuga Labs, right, that's... 48 Yacht Club invested $50 million at a $4 billion post-money valuation. That means Yuga Labs has a $4 billion post-money valuation. Near, I went to a near meetup in San Francisco. It was cool, but Near's another, Near's another layer one. Alt layer one that competes against Ethereum, but same problem with Near, same problem with Altos, same problem uh, with all these layer ones. I bet they have like a pre-mined population of tokens that are going to go to venture venture investors, right? Near, right? Let's go let's look at Masari. Near, Masari, um, tokenomics. Near protocol, Masari tokenomics I wonder what happened uh, maybe we can't oh, oh maybe the price already dropped yeah $1.78 what's the total fully look at this 834 million near tokens in supply let's see if we can go to Masari and find it now I really want to know what the token distribution for this is Near protocol profile token economic they call it token economics initial launch and token See, look private sale private sale private sale private sale these look at that these are all pre mined tokens liquid supply curve one one point three billion tokens. Staking rewards, community grants, operations core team. These are all these are all pre-mined tokens. I'm gonna to go to early investors. There's some cliff that they're going to have to adhere to, but once the cliff expires and becomes liquid, they're gonna dump it. I would stay away from there. That's why I'm a fan of Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. There's no like there's no pre-mining. So going back to Alameda Ventures, we see that I think the ones that are most interesting thus far the the bitcoin mining rig 40 apes oh no polygon was on there too near we just talked about what are some of the more like oh look at the bottom doc twits 20 million dollar investment at a 200 million dollar post money valuation what did they invest? Like, what did they do with that money? Let's see, go on Twitter, see if anything's interesting. My jaw is floored on the revelation of the FTX venture. What is Rock? What is Rockbird LLC? Venture backed companies aren't LLCs. Another 10 million. Yeah. feel bad for the companies that are legitimate in this that um, gave up equity to Alameda Ventures via FTX. And I bet the investment amount, oh God, I hope it wasn't denominated in FTT tokens because th those would be worth zero now. 
Oh, there's a second page. Well, there's a third page. Let's go to the bottom one. This is where the raunchy ones are at, the, the small investments. These are the flyers. Hold on, let's start here. Snickerdoodle Labs, $218. Pont. Aladdin Dow, Aladdin Dow, Ava Protocol, Starkware Tokens. That's interesting. A little disappointing. Couple NFT marketplaces, gaming, data infrastructure. My, my prediction is if these were all denominated in FTT tokens, all of these companies are now at zero with respect to the investment made by Alameda. And of course, Caroline couldn't be in, couldn't be reached for comment. She's in New York City with her dog, Zoe. How unfortunate. What else? Oh, this is interesting. Gemini owed $900 million. Uh, I'm going to, I'm actually going to write a long form article on this. This is part three. That's going to come out this week. All right. Crypto exchange Gemini created by Tyler and Camel Winklevoss. These are the guys who like co-founded Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg is owed $900 million from Genesis. Unbelievable. All right. I want to, let's talk about this very, very briefly. So I wrote an article about how FTX engineered a fake bailout of BlockFi, but it was really a composition of like a composition of uh of like eight teams, digital currency group, Genesis, Grayscale, and Gemini. We're talking about Genesis and Gemini right now, right? So let's see if I can find this. Uh I can't, but we'll just talk through it. Depositors put money into Gemini. Right, that's a crypto exchange. We go to Gemini. They had the Earn Crypto program. Uh, <laughs> transparency builds the, the hell out of here. All right, Gemini had an Earn program. It was an interest-bearing account where you'd put crypt, where you'd put U.S. dollars in, and you would get, uh, you would earn yield on whatever Bitcoin or Ethereum you bought. I'll get more after. This is the last one. So the problem is that. How did Gemini earn any yield? You get, check out this ad, Gemini. Uh, Gemini earn uh, launches with Genesis. And we gotta go back. We gotta go back in time. Let me look at the images. Here, check this out. Money has a future, Gemini, the regulated cryptocurrency exchange. Okay. So oh, here's the article. Gemini partners with crypto lender Genesis to offer 7.4% yield on customer deposits. And that was in 2021. Now we're saying December 5th, 2022. Genesis owns <laughs> Genesis owes Gemini $900 million. Okay, so depositors put money into Gemini via the EARN program, right? USDC goes in, uh, maybe they buy Bitcoin, maybe they buy Ethereum. Yield is earned, at least in this promotional program from 2021, 7.4%. So the first thing you got to ask is like, how the hell are they getting 7.4% yield? 
The answer is, of course, Gemini. Gemini was one of the participants in this broader crypto destruction we saw over the past four or five months where depositors put money uh, into Gemini. Gemini gives it to Genesis. Genesis gives it to hedge funds like Three Hours Capital, like Alameda Research. They take the equity via the tokens that have been deposited via Genesis, right? Now we're three layers in. Gemini goes to Genesis. Genesis goes to Three Arrows Capital or Alameda Research, FTX. Those are the hedge funds. They take the depositor capital, buy Bitcoin, if it's not already in Bitcoin, and actually lend it to Grayscale. Grayscale gives it back to the hedge fund, Three Arrows Capital or Alameda in the form of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares, GBTC. GBTC is a trust that issues shares that grant access to the underlying, okay? So if you buy shares in GBTC, you're not actually buying Bitcoin. You're buying a trust that has exposure to Bitcoin and it's like pro rata with 1,000 shares to one. 1,000 shares of Grayscale is like one Bitcoin, right? So this is what they did, but it got really wonky because they would leverage up, okay? And they me they were talking about. Uh, let's see if we can follow it here. Let's keep going down. It's really bad. I want to show it to you guys. Here's the final result. Genesis gives lends Bitcoin to Three Arrows Capital or FTX. Uh, Three Arrows Capital FTX lends it to Grayscale. Grayscale uh, gives back uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares. These are illiquid. They have a six-month lockup window. FTX, Alameda, Three Arrows Capital lend it back to Genesis. They lend back the borrowed, now GBTC, back to Genesis, who provides liquidity via USDC, who in turn buys more Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares. They did this loop. You can find out more about it in one of the articles I wrote on crypto on frontrunnercrypto.com. But it failed, and now the claim is that Genesis is owed Genesis owes Gemini nine hundred million dollars. I think this is a misdirection. Gemini. Gemini's lending desk did not do their due diligence in quantifying the risk of deploying depositor funds to Genesis. Like I acknowledge that Gemini is an interest-bearing program and depositors put their funds at risk for sure. But there's also an aspect of Gemini having to do their due diligence and actually perform a quantifiable assessment that outlines the risk of deploying customer funds to Genesis. I don't think they did that. If they did, they'd know that they were levered up on GBTC and worthless FTT tokens. So now this is going to be a big bankruptcy proceeding. Uh, I'll write more on this topic in like the coming days, but this is one of the big exchanges and hedge funds that ultimately fell out, right? From the FTX collapses, FTX, Alameda, Genesis, Gemini, uh, now, uh, now uh, Maple Finance, 
BlockFi filed for bankruptcy. There's an article on the website if you want to check that out. But there's more contagion. I don't think we're done. I think it's going to actually be much worse. The worst is yet to come. Cool. Next. Oh, Maple Finance. So I brought this up because I feel like people have short-term memory, right? Maple Finance and Ortho, Ortho, Orthogonal Trading. All right, these guys are trading desks, and what really pissed me off about this is Maple Fi Maple Finance. <laughs> okay, Maple Finance. Uh, which is now called, oh, it's the Institutional Credit Underwriting in DeFi via Maple Finance. Got it. So institutional lenders, M11 credit via Maple Finance deployed, deployed I'm assuming, investor funds to ortho trading, right? Ortho trading deployed those funds either directly to FTX or via one of FTX's like uh, probably Alameda Research. And surprise, surprise, it went to zero. Let's take a moment and look. In light of recent payment, in light of recent mispayments by Ortho Trading in the USDC permissionless pool, we want to provide some insight and context on the situation. On twelve three, Ortho Trading informed us that the fund that due to funds held on FTX, all oh, funds held on FTX, they incurred a much larger loss than previously disclosed. Okay. So it looks like Ortho Trading was using FTX to facilitate trades, and when the exchange went to zero, so did Ortho. We were extremely shocked and disappointed by the actions of Ortho, purposely misstating information during the numerous contacts that we had. Oh, so they're saying that uh, they were insolvent much before, uh, much sooner than than reported. Let's keep going. We're going to speed run this. Immediately after the collapse of FTX, okay, M11 went to every went to every borrower and said, hey, where's the money, right? Because they wanted to protect the liquidity providers, right? Ortho trading, oh, misrepresented their financial standing with us both in writing and verbally, right? So they breached the master loan agreement. They didn't disclose their liabilities and financial situation. F11 issued notice a default on all active loans. And what is the fallout? Ortho Trading's concentration was 14% of the total permissionless pool. Unbelievable. What does Ortho say? Unfortunately, Ortho Trading was severely impacted by the collapse of FTX and associated trading activities. We've been working to cover blah 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 repayment it how do i want to see the problem with this is these guys were also exposed in three hours capital watch 3ac why anyone gives these people any money when they have a track record of losing funds is beyond me these same trading firms <laughs> lost money in three hours capital but that didn't stop M11 Finance via Maple Finance to actually pause and ask, hey, are we doing the right thing by actually giving money to Ortho Finance when they just lost? How much did they lose to Theros Capital? 
I wrote. I think it was like five or ten million dollars. Unbelievable. So the TLDR is that M11 Finance ran a permissionless USDC pool. They deployed that to Ortho Trading, who took the USDC, deployed that to FTX to facilitate trades and earned the yield that was promised via the permissionless pool. And ta-da, FTX went to zero. And all the money's gone, which represents 14% of the total uh, liquidity pool provider funds. You got, they got to learn their lesson. If I, well, number one, I would not put any money in a centralized exchange, nor would I deploy any capital to any investment vehicle, which in turn deployed capital to a centralized exchange, right? So that pretty much limits us to like Uniswap, Compound, Aave, but that's okay because, because the smart contracts enforce the liquidation rules, right? It's much more transparent. This does not happen in true DeFi. SBF response, let's move on. Oh God, this is pathetic. This is the state of the US government. Maxine Waters. She is the pre she is she leads the United States House Committee on Financial Service. House Committee Financial Services. Right? I personally think that all these cogs in the machine that is the US government serve no purpose, but we'll humor them and Figure out what they do. The committee oversees all components of the nation's housing and financial services, which include sectors, banking, and insurance. Maxine Waters leads, this, leads the U.S. House Committee on Financial Services. She's also bought and sold by FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm sure there are pictures of them floating around on the internet together. Let's see if we can pull one up. I know I've seen them on the Twitterverse. If not, that's okay. I just want to point out here it is Maxine Waters, top recipient of FT of SBF political donations, is now leading a fake investigation into FTX. So look at this. On December 4th, she published that tweet saying that very politely asking SBF to come to the side of the top. This is this is ridiculous. God, she's such a hack. Maxine Waters politely asked SBF to come to Capitol Hill. To explain himself since he's on this road tour already. SBF literally responds, this is all on Twitter, saying, Once I finish learning and reviewing what happened, I would feel like it was my duty to appear, but I'm not sure that will happen by the 13th. But when it does, I will testify. This person controls the House Financial Services Committee, which is responsible for all banking services in the United States of America. And she's asking him. With a pretty please and sugar on top, may you please come to the White House and talk to me pretty please, SBF.
we all know that the United States of America could push SBF to come back to the States if they wanted to, right? Our government could press the SEC, could press the Financial Services Committee, could press the FBI, right, to force their hand. This is the Baha- the government of the Bahamas to actually extradite SBF back to the United States, but they're not. Instead, they're saying, hey, may you please come here on the 13th and talk to me pretty please, which SBF is telling him to, pa- telling Maxine Waters and the broader, uh, and the broader, U.S. government to pound sands. It's imperative that you attend our hearing on the 13th, and we are willing to schedule continued hearings if there's more to be shared later. They should just arrest him. And this is embarrassing that they haven't yet. I think we're collectively all disappointed that SBF is still free. All right, let's see. There's... We'll cover on the topic of SBF... He's been on this road road tour lately, going on many, many interviews. I actually watched the entire interview of him on uh, on New York Times. It kind of pissed me off. It was, in my opinion, many, many softball questions. I mean, the, the interviewer did press SBF a little bit on some questionable actions with respect to owning property, the parents being there, like multi-million dollar houses. Um, but he didn't really push the needle on depositor funds. He would ask a question, SBF would respond, and then we'd go on to the next topic, right? So in light of that, SBF's been on this roadshow, basically talking to a lot of folks, both into the traditional media space, as well as like the DeFi, DGen, uh, Twitter, crypto, Twitter, cryptoverse, right? And they're mostly garbage because they're usually on like Twitter spaces and the person doing the interview is it's it's kind of amateur hour. So the people at Autism Capital, I don't know, these are a group of anons doing God's work for sure. They basically go on these live streams and provide play-by-play recaps on what SBF is saying and how, what, how the interviews are responding. So uh, the one that happened today on 12.6, Autism Capital... <laughs> We'll go through it because it's it's freaking hilarious. The host prepared a, prepared questions and answers. He appeared to be going down a list. Sam is answering very quickly. No questions or answers so far have been worth mentioning. It's broad rhetoric. Why did you start? Oh my god, I can't even read this. Why did you start FTX? What a what a bunch of garbage. There's nothing of value so far. The host suggested at the beginning that there would be QA with selected listeners. Autism Capital thinks that it's more signal, which means like the listeners were pre-selected. It really feels like Sam wrote these questions. Zero signal so far. Paid interview. Oh, man. We're losing focus now. It's hard to listen. Our autism isn't strong enough. Lend us your power. Autism Capital. This feels like a first-year law student asking their teacher questions on a case study. The lack of substance has... (laughs) The lack of substance in this interview has now become offensive. Okay, first real question. Caroline appears to be in New York with your dog with your dog Gopher. How are you framing her involvement? Sam, I am not sure that Gopher was involved in the photo. Caroline is in a hard position. That's so funny. He doesn't actually deny that uh, she's in New York. He's denying that her dog is in New York. Autism Capital. The host confirms that 
the people <laughs> Sam's roundabout con Sam roundabout confirms that Caroline is in New York. Yeah, exactly. The host confirms that the people he will be allowing to the stage ask questions at the end are all people he knows. Oh, that's disappointing. Let's see anything else. Uh, oh, Coffee Break YT joins. Uh, oh, it looks like he admits. Were you, where, where are you treating? Oh, were you treating customer assets differently on the client side? Yes, I believe there are different differences. Sam responds. Okay, so here, I think the the what I've heard on the Twitterverse is that Sam is admitting to co-mingling depositor funds. But I think Sam's counterpoint is that there are two types of accounts in FTX. There's accounts that are interest-bearing and earn yield, and then there's accounts that are not interest-bearing and don't earn any yield. The accounts that don't earn any yield, those should have been safe. They're clearly not. But the accounts that earn yield, those were the ones that apparently through the terms of service actually outline uh, that your, your collateral's at risk, right? So I think that's what he means. He's indicating that the depositor funds in the accounts that were earning yield were the ones at risk, not the ones that were uh, in non-interest yield earning accounts. So the jury will be the judge of that. Sam left the call. The space is now doing an after show. TLDR, you missed nothing. The final thought, the infighting over who gets to ask questions is embarrassing and shuts Sam down. Who doesn't want to get involved in the chaos? Don't make him defensive. Cultivate a calm, professional environment. And also don't ask big questions. How unfortunate. I think we just stop giving this guy any, any airtime. He's clearly doing a roadshow where he's trying to portray himself as a selfless hero doing what's right for depositors, and it's, it's not working. Uh, he needs to go to prison. So last but not least, let's wrap it up. Uh, profitability of exchanges. I saw this from Token Terminal uh, a couple of days ago. You guys got to check this out. So my first principle on any crypto token, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, BNB, any layer two, it doesn't matter. The value of the token is a byproduct of the revenue the protocol or the exchange earns. Using FTT as an example, it had a fully diluted market cap of $28 billion. The token had no revenue accruing to it. So if you look at all the fees FTX collected, none of the exchange revenue from FTX went to the FTT token. It was literally a shitcoin Ponzi crypto token. And if we look at aspects of like traditional finance, what is the value of an equity? The values in equity is the sum of its future cash flows discounted back to today's, which we call the present value. We can sidebar that for now, but if you look at a company and you add up all of its earnings in the future, future over all of time, you sum it up and you discount it back to today called the present value. You divide that by the number of shares. You get an approximate earnings per share. You can use the P ratio to quantify what the uh, share price is. Maybe I'll write an article about that. But the punchline is that if a token has no revenue, it is worth nothing. Now, some counterpoints 
could be like John, Uniswap has a utility token, no revenue accrues to that, and it's not worth zero, right? Uniswap token. Uh, let me, maybe it's on CoinGecko, Uniswap. I should, I should just pull up trading desk next time I'll use trading desk. Yeah, $6.09 Uniswap, total circuit supply 1 billion, market cap 6 billion, right? So Uniswap is not, is above zero. But even Uniswap is enabling a fee switch that's going to let some of the Uniswap exchange revenue accrue to the Uni token. So even they see the value in this because ultimately at the end of the day, all tokens are worthless if no revenue accrues to the token. Going back to Token Terminal, great platform that outlines uh, financial metrics of many, many layer one and layer two tokens. I, everybody, everybody should use this tool if they haven't already. They recently published uh, a tweet saying how to assess the profitability of a lending protocol, right? And you can see its fees, revenue, token incentives, operational expenses, and earnings, right? And the fees, the fees total interest, that is, I wonder if that's an expense. The fee, this is a lending protocol. Yeah. So the fees, which is what the protocol pays out, right? In terms of interest, the revenue, is what the protocol collects. The token incentives are additional tokens that the protocol pays out to attract user demand. Operational expenses are like pay, and then earnings is revenue minus operational expenses. And what you'll see if you scroll through this, or even if you just go to token terminal directly is that they have a mechanism we can use ethereum as an example that outlines what are the key metrics so you can see here's the market cap let's uncheck that here's fees total transaction fees paid by user we'll keep it to like 30 days or something total transaction fees paid by user that's not what we want share of transaction fees that goes to gas that goes to validators Share of transaction fees that are burned. Oh, so fees equals uh, supply side fees plus revenue, right? Because Ethereum has two types of fees when you uh, trade ETH on, on any exchange, right? Uh, you pay gas, that way, right? You convert it to ETH. It's two parts. Part one is paid to the stakers, right? This is if you like stake ETH, right? That's how the stakers earn yield. Ethereum also actually uh, issues tokens though. And when you hear this whole dynamic about sound versus ultrasound versus inflationary versus deflationary, right? That's called a token incentive. So if you just think about like the total transaction fees paid by user, that's a composition of the transaction fee that goes to the validator, this is the staker, plus the transaction fee that is burned, right? That accrues to the ETH holder because it reduces the total population, the total supply of ETH in population, right? And I think this is EIP-1559 that did this, right? So EIP-1559 ETH gas. Let's see if we can find that. 
yeah, this is everyone bookmarked this, right? So, uh, t well, today is yesterday, and EIP one five five nine is today, right? So there's a block reward that goes to the miner, which is now the staker. But then when you transact on ETH, right, the tip goes to the miner, and then uh, the staker, and then the base fee gets burned. So you can see fees, supply side fees, revenue. Fees is supply side fees plus revenue. Token incentives is the block rewards the protocol issues, right? And what you want is uh, what you want is the revenue the protocol collects to be greater than the um, incentives the protocol issues, right? And I don't think it is over the past. Yeah. ETH has moments of ultrasoundness, but but we're not there. So you can see here the protocol, we're looking at Ethereum is issuing more ETH than it is burning. Then EI, uh, then we go to proof of stake. Let's zoom in a bit. And we can see that there are some days where ETH is deflationary. Again, uh, deflationary is the revenue, uh, the ETH that gets burned is greater than the revenue it collects, which means that the ETH that gets burned uh, is greater, the revenue that is collected is greater than the ETH that gets burned, right? So you can see here that if we look at 1128, token incentives were 1.9 million, the fees collected were 2.1 million, that's ultrasound, right? The next day, the fees were 1.7 million, token incentives were 1.8 million, that's not ultrasound, that's not even sound, that's inflationary, right? So going back to our uh, tweet token terminal outlines how do you assess the profitability of lending protocols i take it a step further and say how do you assess the profitability of any protocol go to tokenterminal.com check out uh, their analytics fees supply side fees revenue token incentives if you need some other data you can go to ultrasound.money this is a great website too it aggregates the data across the ETH blockchain and says, hey, uh, when are we deflationary and when are we inflationary, right? And we can see we are inflationary right now, but that's okay. We're in a bear market. It's going to get better. So that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed the Crypto Before Bed episode one YouTube. If you liked it, tell me what you think. If you didn't like it, also, tell me what you think. I'd love to know uh, why you hate me. So if you want more detailed, in-depth crypto analysis, right where we go deep as opposed to broad, check out frontruncrypto.com, frontruncrypto.com. You'll see many, many detailed analyses on the crypto market and my point of view on a lot of things in DeFi. Cool, guys. Thanks. See you tomorrow. Bye.